calling all book nerds and novel novices. Literature and Libations is starting a Patreon. Affectionately named Lowercase L, our Patreon will cover some of our favorite and some of our not-so-favorite-but-we-have-to-talk-about-it series. For $3 a month, you will get a monthly bonus episode. To sign up, go to patreon.com slash literatureandlibations. There is also a link on our Instagram page, Literature and Libations Pod, and our website, literatureandlibationspod.com, on the About the Show page. Our first episode will be dropping January 30th, and we will be talking about Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. And we will be joined by the third sister, Allie. What she lacks in stature, she makes up for in wit. We are so excited to start this Patreon and hope that you join us. Happy reading and drinking! Hello and welcome to Literature and Libations, a podcast for lifelong book nerds and novice novel readers alike. Each week, we discuss a novel and pair it with a cocktail, just to keep things lively. I'm Kayla. And I'm Taylor. And this week, we're talking about Once They Were Wolves by Charlotte McConaughey. Before we get into the book, we're going to get into our cocktail. I chose a cocktail named The Grey Wolf. And if you don't know why I chose it, then you obviously didn't read the book. (laughs) (laughs) I did not do the assignment. (laughs) Yeah. This is similar to last week's. It's a whiskey cocktail bit stronger than last week's less ingredients to kind of drown out that whiskey this is it's just straight up whiskey isn't it don't lie it's not straight up whiskey (laughs) pretty much a old-fashioned like kind of a twist on the old-fashioned oh how fancy i got this one off of punchdrink.com this cocktail was created by julia mimosi or mimos she works at kamiko in chicago And this is what she has to say about this cocktail. In this variation on an old-fashioned, it uses plum vinegar for savory sweet acidity, benedictine for complex sweetness with a dash of Angostura bitters to bring the two together. It's a drink that can keep opening up and opening up instead of dying after a certain point. Ooh, that's poetic. So poetic. Yeah, like I said, this this drink is going to put some hair on your chest. I made it two nights ago just to test it. And it was one of those drinks where you take the first sip and you're kind of like, oh, okay, this is what we're doing. (laughs) (laughs) It's definitely more of a sip. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. I have my big brown ice cube. Yeah. When we decided to do this podcast, I went to Home Goods and went a little crazy in the fancy ice cubes. (laughs) As one does. Um, so the ingredients for this cocktail, we're going to use, well, it calls for two ounces of Japanese whiskey. I think because the creator of this cocktail works at a Japanese restaurant, very similar to our last week's cocktail. For today, I used scotch since our book takes place in Scotland. So I used oh. my Isle Gold single malt 10-year scotch. 10-year scotch? Does that mean it's 10 years old? It means it's aged for 10 years, like in the barrel. So yeah. Yeah, oh, okay. I think the longer you age it, the more expensive it usually, like the fancier it is, because they had a 20 year as well. That was more. So, yeah, Ooh. time. Time really gives it the flavor. Okay, so other than your whiskey, you're going to do a quarter ounce of demerara syrup. Demerara syrup? Don't know. Demerara? demerara? I'm not sure if that's how you say it. Demerara? I have no idea. It's I got it off of Amazon. You can buy it off of Amazon. Um, half a teaspoon of Benedictine, half teaspoon of plum vinegar and one dash of Angostura bitters. So you're just gonna combine all these ingredients in a mixing glass over ice and stir until chilled. So I put all my ingredients in my shaker with ice and then instead of shaking it, I just stirred it. I have like one of those long fancy cocktail spoons and I just stir it. 
And then I haven't strained it into my glass yet. I'm going to do that now. But before I do that, I'm going to take my, I have this grapefruit peel. So what I did before I put my ice cube in there, I just kind of took the grapefruit peel and I rubbed um, it on the Yes, rim. I rubbed it in my glass. I could not think of what a good rub down. A good rub down of the grapefruit peel. <laughs> There's no polite so way I rubbed, saying it. I rubbed people. the grapefruit peel. No, no. And then I'm going to twist my grapefruit peel now and I'm just going to put it in my glass, kind of expressing all that grapefruit oil. And then I'm going to get my cocktail a little swirl. And I'm going to now pour it into my glass. This is happening in real time. In real time. And it's pretty watered down by the ice I had in my shaker, which is what I wanted because I I need it to be a little watered down, to be honest. <laughs> but I'm going to take a sip. Oh, yeah. She's strong. <laughs> All you folks listening... I'm missing just the great facial expression <laughs> on Taylor's face. It is good. I do like it because I like old fashions. This is not as sweet as a typical old fashioned because we do put the sugar syrup in there. Um, and maybe you could add a little bit extra if you wanted to, but it's kind of got more of this like acidic savory flavor. I think from that plum vinegar is really what's coming through and the, a little bit of smokiness from the scotch because the scotch that I have is pretty smoky. So it's good, but I think I'm going to be sipping this throughout the entire episode. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Nurse the gray wolf. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the more she does that throughout the episode, you know the more she has drunk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I start howling over here. All right. <laughs> well, now that we have our delicious cocktail poured... I'm going to get into um, just kind of a, a quick summary of the book. So again, spoilers abound. So if you want to wait until you have read the book, you can always come back to this episode. Or if you don't really care about spoilers, then by all means, uh, listen on. So Once There Were Wolves, again by Charlotte McConaughey, was published in August of last year by Penguin Random House, or PRH, for those in the know, in the publishing biz. So our main character is Inti Flynn, and she arrives in Scotland with a team of biologists, like wildlife biologists, who are working on a project to reintroduce wolves to the Scottish Highlands. Um, they had been like hunted or driven out of the area many, many, many years ago. Um, and there's just kind of a general dislike and mistrust of wolves from most of the people. So the locals are understandably upset because they don't want wolves to attack their livestock or attack. Yeah, it's a big farming community that she's going into. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so there's just a lot of pushback from the get go. But, you know, the team still proceeds with their project and they do reintroduce a good number of wolves into the area. And along with her, Inti brings her twin sister, Aggie, um, who has been mute for several years because, in, you know, all the content trigger warnings right now, um, she went through just some horrific abuse, um, both physical and sexual, by her husband and his friend. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, further into the episode. Um, so that really traumatized her. So Inti is now looking after Aggie. Inti also meets and almost 
not right away, but pretty quickly thereafter, she starts a relationship, kind of air quotes, with Duncan, who is the local police chief. And kind of the main antagonist to this whole wolf project is Stuart, who is a local farmer and also a wife beater. So, you know, super fantastic person. And then soon enough, Stuart is found by Inti with his throat slashed. And despite her efforts to hide the body because she rightfully thinks that people will think a wolf did it and then want to kill all the wolves, um, his body is discovered. And so, you know, it's kind of a, a mystery of who killed Stuart? Was it actually a wolf? Was it Duncan? Was it Stuart's wife, Lainey, getting revenge? Was it Inti herself? So it kind of turns into a murder mystery while at the same time is like just a, a reflection and rumination on human relationship with nature and the wild. Because a very interesting thing about Inti is that she has mirror touch synesthesia, which is a real condition where if she's looking at an animal or a person, she can feel what they're feeling. So like if someone is twirling a pen in their fingers, she can feel that. If she sees someone's get punched in the nose, mm-hmm. she can feel that. And same with animals. Like if a wolf is, you know, tearing into an animal, eating them, she can feel that and like taste the blood in her mouth. And then it, it transpires that Aggie is actually the one who has murdered Stuart for reasons we'll get into. And yeah, we'll kind of talk about the ending of the book as we go into our themes, but that's um, kind of the gist yeah. of Once There Were Wolves. So yeah, let's let's get into it. Taylor, do you kind of want to start us off? Yeah, I would say the the biggest theme that we see throughout this book is kind of this wild versus civility, like wildness versus civility. Because like we said, the people of the town in Scotland are very upset about the wolves coming in to the forest because one, they're afraid of their livestock and they're, they're afraid for the wolves attacking them. And that's their big concern. But we kind of get this, this mirroring of the people who are really destroying the townspeople are those within the town. So it's kind of this comparison. Yeah. And so it's interesting to think about, you know, humans tend to think of themselves as civilized, but how civil are we really? Like Taylor, you made a good point in our notes. There's no abuse in nature, at least not the way that we see the way that humans abuse each other, the way that we see humans abuse each other in this book with Stuart and his wife. And then we find out Duncan's dad beat his mom. Did he kill? Yeah, him? he did. Yeah, Duncan's dad killed Duncan's yeah, yeah, mom and that's mom. why Duncan killed his own father. And then we also have the abuse story of Aggie and her her husband. I forgot that asshole's name. What the fuck is his name? I, I honestly don't remember his name either. Whatever. So her husband severely abused her. And like Kayla said in the beginning, that's why she's mute throughout the book. And she really doesn't leave the house. We're meant to believe in the beginning that the wolves are what's going to be causing problems in this story. But really, they're not. It's all the humans are what's what's causing the problems. And the humans are the ones who are kind of destroying themselves in this small town. I think the wolves' presence kind of stirs up this human emotion in everyone that kind of sets off this real reckoning. And I think, you know, it obviously starts with Stuart's death. Yeah, I thought it was just very interesting because, like I said in my notes, 
we don't see abuse in the animal kingdom. I mean, animals kill each other and everything like that, but it's usually for a reason, you know, they're trying to live, they're killing for food, you know, they're killing over territory, but it's not this abuse that we see in the book where these men are just trying to instill fear into these women and they're trying to avoid shame that they felt in the past. That is something that is completely human. You're not going to see that in the wildlife. Mm -hmm. Animals don't feel shame like humans do. So they don't kind of have these reactions to protect their pride and protect what they feel is their, I can't really think of the word right now, but these men seem to be protecting. I don't know if masculinity is the right word. Yeah. They're they're protecting Mm -hmm. themselves in a way. They're trying to reassert their place in, in their town or in their marriages or in their relationships. And, you know, the examples in this book are, you know, they they do that in physical ways. Going back to kind of what you said, how the wolves bring out this nature in humans, that this project is described as rewilding the area. And so that's kind of what's happening to the humans. The humans are being rewilded. (laughs) That's not a word. (laughs) But they're kind of showing their, their base instincts like their base emotions so it's 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 all super interesting like just right out the gate I really I loved this book like I I started it on a Saturday night and then I finished it the next morning like it was it was so good I you can't put it just, down no I couldn't just read a little bit at a time I had to mm-hmm. keep reading to find out what was going on because it was just so intense and part of that is just the way that Charlotte McConaughey writes about the human connection to nature, specifically Inti's like deep, deep connection to nature. And that kind of stems from her, her and Aggie's father, who when they were little, um, her parents split up and her dad just kind of lived out in nature off the grid, like didn't really socialize. Everything was natural. He hunted, he fished, made his own things. And so he instilled in the twins you know, that same connection. And that connection is just amplified because of Inti's uh, synesthesia. Like she can feel what animals feel unlike anything that a human can understand. The first page in the book, the first sentence, I think is Aggie saying, when I was seven or whatever age it was, my dad cut me from Mm -hmm. throat to stomach. And at first you're like, what the fuck? But then you realize she's talking about watching her dad cut open a rabbit. So you just like instantly get just how deeply Inti is connected to nature and to these animals. And I think it just really sets the tone for the whole book of like, this is not only ingrained in Inti by her father, but by this, um, the mirror touch synesthesia. Like this is just fully, she's fully enveloped in this nature world. Yeah. And speaking of that opening like chapter section, I didn't know like really anything about this book before I started to read it. So when mm-hmm. she was describing like when her dad made the cut and like that she could feel it, I was like, oh, is there like a, a supernatural mm-hmm. element to this book? Does she have like some weird symbiotic relationship with nature? Um, but then, you know, kind of shortly after that, Inti, you know, names what she has and she kind of describes it. And I was like, oh, Okay, interesting. And I really like that choice to not just 
come right out mm-hmm. and say it right out the gate. We see it through, you know, Inti's seven or eight-year-old self, like how it affects her and immediately how Aggie jumps in to protect her. So right away, we know that, you know, Inti has this connection, both both with nature yes. and with her sister. Yeah, which is which is super interesting. And then going more into nature and everything, because of the events that happened in Inti's past, both concerning her dad, which we'll get into in a second, and her sister, um, you know, Inti is kind of I wouldn't say fully over humans and human relationships, but she definitely connects more with the wolves and just wanting to be by herself out in the wilderness, not really wanting to establish super deep connections with anyone apart from Aggie, which is why she kind of waffles a little bit with Duncan. Yeah, I just thought that was really interesting. I think this would probably be a good point to talk a little bit more about their parents and and kind of their differences and how they instilled different ideals. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because on one side, we have her dad, who's very nature-oriented, very emotional. Love is what's going to pretty much solve all of the world's problems. So that's her dad. Her mom is on the complete end of the spectrum. And she is a detective for abuse cases. She thinks that the father is kind of living in a fantasy world. And she says that humans are pretty much terrible. She sees all the horrible things that humans do to each other. So she kind of tries to instill in her daughters that you can't trust people. um, You need to rely on your own instincts and you need to be tough. And that's really hard for Inti, especially because of her condition, the mirror touch anesthesia. You know, whenever anyone gets hurt, like she physically feels pain. So she kind of, you know, she shows emotion when people get hurt because she's also getting hurt. And her mom tries to, I guess she tries to numb her to that pain because, you know, we get the scene where her mom is making Inti watch um, her cut her own finger and she doesn't want Inti to react in any type of way. But it seems like, you know, I think that doesn't really work because Inti reacts to pain throughout the whole entire book. Yeah, it's not something you can just like dull, yeah. I think, or practice to get rid of. Um, at least based on <laughs> the media page that I read about mirror touch synesthesia, it doesn't really seem that there's any kind of cure. I mean, there's mm-hmm. different levels of intensity. So NT is obviously on like the higher end of the spectrum. Um, but there's also people who, you know, they only have reactions when they're observing other people mm-hmm. and not animals. Yeah. So it's, yeah, I thought the mom's approach was pretty intense, but also, you know, kind of makes sense. Because like you said, she sees the worst in people and she wants her daughters and Inti specifically to be able to handle the real world. Like she is worried how much Aggie protects Inti in every situation. Mm -hmm. And she just wants, you know, Inti to be able to take care of herself. Yeah, and protect herself. And there's that whole Inti and Aggie just throughout the book, say that they're always going to be together. They're never going to be apart. And their mom kind of says like, oh, you guys aren't going to be together forever. Like you're going to have to learn how to take care of yourself. Um, so I think that's really her motivation for getting into to kind of quote unquote, get over this condition, which you, like you said before, is just is not a possibility. But I just don't think yeah. her mom kind of understands that. So she has these weird kind of connect, uh, weird relationships with her parents where she's got two very opposite ends of the spectrum. 
Um, and then she also has this really interesting twin connection with her sister that we kind of got into. Aggie has always been Inti's protector. And Aggie is kind of like the more outgoing one, going and fun. Inti is more reserved. And Aggie seems really strong. So when you meet Aggie and Inti, you are kind of led to believe or, or led to think that, not that you would think this about someone right off the bat, but you're like, okay, like if either one of them was going to end up in an abusive relationship, it's going to be Inti. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's how you kind of feel about them. Yeah. But then later down the road, Aggie's the one who ends up in the abusive relationship with that guy that I can't remember his name. <laughs> with with that <laughs> asshole. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't deserve a name. <laughs> Um, no, no, he definitely doesn't. Yeah. And that whole situation, like ultimately what happens to Aggie doesn't get revealed all at once. It's slowly given to us in snippets throughout the book until like the culminating horrible event is revealed. And God, that was, that was so hard yeah. to read yeah. because it was Aggie's husband and his friend. It's actually his cousin. His cousin? Yeah. Oh, okay. His cousin. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Dick number two. Yeah. <laughs> they, because, you know, Aggie's husband would have his friends and whoever over and they would get drunk and just be obnoxious. And Inti was living with them mm-hmm. at this time. So she would see all this going on, but Aggie wouldn't really address it with her like she wanted to kind of just handle it on her own but then eventually you know Inti convinced Aggie or they kind of decided together that it was time to leave but before they can actually enact that you know the two guys take Aggie and do this horrible thing and Inti's on the other side of the door just trying to like bang on it and you know they they open it and they let her in and Inti is just is physically lying there next to Aggie Mm -hmm. as she's being assaulted and raped, which is just, and because of her condition, she, she can't do anything to help her. So she's lying there helpless as this is happening Mm -hmm. to her twin. And I can't even imagine that, Yeah, you know, both from Aggie's and from Inti's perspective, Mm -hmm. it's so horrible. And again, you know, the civility, all the air quotes of humans versus these wild animals and it just really makes you think like hmm who who are the animals yeah in this in this situation like what the fuck for sure not once in this book does an animal actually hurt a person let's just say that never actually happened yeah no exactly the wolves never attack a human um i don't even think they attack oh no one one of them does kill some livestock but i mean you know animal kingdom they're gonna they see a slow little sheep we're going to eat the sheep, <laughs> you know, exactly. lamb chops, exactly. yum, yum. But again, it's for food purposes. Like it's their natural instinct. They're not doing this just to be like, ha ha, you suck. I'm going to take your sheep. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're not in like trying to hurt anybody where every, like main, mainly the men in this book are out to hurt mm-hmm. these women and create dominance over these women. Later we find out that their father ends up going kind of through like this dementia thing. And he actually becomes abusive in his old age, but he's only abusive towards Aggie, which I find really interesting because Aggie, like we said earlier, she's the more domineering one, you know, more likely to speak her mind. So she probably got, or she probably said things to her father that really triggered Mm. this response in him. Not saying that it's her fault. 
So she ends up getting abused by her father. And there's this line in the book when their dad hits Aggie for the first time, Inti is there and she can obviously feel it. And she says that she could feel, you know, the physical pain, but she couldn't feel the emotional pain. And I think emotional pain is also a very big theme in this book. We see a lot of physical abuse, but really the things that end up being the most damaging to these people are the emotional scars that are left with all Mm -hmm. of these characters. Aggie can't Mm -hmm. talk throughout pretty much the whole book. She's not leaving her house. Inti has trust issues because of, you know, what happened with Aggie and her husband. And she also feels all this guilt for not saving her sister. Duncan has issues because he killed his father. Stuart and Lainey all have issues. You know, all of these really deep emotional scars, I think really get you thinking in this book about how deep abuse can go. And thought that was really insightful of Charlotte McConaughey to talk about. And it makes me wonder if she has been an abuse survivor, because I think that's something that people can really forget about when when it comes to abuse, if, if it hasn't happened to you, about how it can really just mess with your whole life. Yeah, I read a few interviews with her that I found online and that in particular never came up, but that's not to say that, you know, that hasn't happened in her life and it's totally within her right to not divulge that. Oh yeah, she definitely doesn't have to tell us, definitely not. It just makes me wonder Yeah, because it's so insightful to me to really, to put that on the forefront of, of, you know, rather than just, you know, explaining all of the physical trauma, she really dives deep into the emotional trauma. I think this is the first instance that I've read personally where there's a connection to that emotional scarring and all that that lingering stuff so much with nature. Um, That's not to say there's books out there or there's no other books out there that do that. Mm -hmm. But this is the, the first one that I've read where there's that distinct of a connection. Um, Another thing that I thought was interesting um, was just the concept of women and femininity and wildness, because I think it's it's pretty it's a common thing, both in literature and in life, you know, that the the wild woman, the, the feral woman, like she's one to be, you know, feared and she's not right in the head. So Inti, who wants to just be in the wild, be on her own, is, you know, by most people considered to be a little odd and it's not a normal thing to cross a woman who wants to live that kind of life. But I think it makes total sense for her to want to do that just based on all of her life experiences thus far. And, and it's why she's so keen on not really making deep connections with people and why she wants to spend so much time observing and being with the wolves and and just the wolf itself as you know a symbol or an, an entity is super interesting as well because again mysterious wild feral something to be feared but you don't really know why <laughs> exactly yeah no it's like why do I have just like this innate fear of wolves, especially for the people in this town who haven't actually been around a wolf in probably generations? Yeah. So how do we know that the wolves are going to go bananas and attack everyone and everything? Like you can't, you can't say that for sure. 
because they haven't been around in so long. I think going on that thread of women in wildness too, because like you said, NT kind of has this desire to be wild and be alone. And that's why she's kind of seen as odd. But even for women who aren't really seeking to be alone and in nature, but are seen as quote unquote wild, just meaning that they are more apt to speak their mind and not do what they're told. I think that's another way that women are seen as wild. And, you know, they're seen in not a good light because women are meant to be submissive and want to please other people. Mm. And especially with the men that we see in this book, they're all wanting this submissive female, like Stuart and Lainey. Lainey is very submissive with Stuart. And anytime she tries to speak up, you know, it's not like Lainey's trying to go out in the wild. She just wants to speak her mind. You know, she's obviously not allowed to do that. And I think it's funny that in humanity, in quote unquote civility, we want women to be submissive and that's and that's seen as kind of their natural way. Mm-hmm. You know, women are seen as caretakers and seen as people pleasers. And I don't know why that's the case because in, in like the animal world, not not all animal species probably, but in a lot of like lions and wolves, like the the female animals do just as much, yeah. if not more, than male animals. And they're seen usually as the more aggressive ones. So why is it in in humanity, women are seen as submissive? Like, why is that put on? I know why. The patriarchy. (laughs) (laughs) Down with the patriarchy. And that is so interesting. But I do have to say, not in every culture, because there are some cultures, many of them in what is considered to be, you know, third world or like, underdeveloped uh, societies mm-hmm. where it's a matriarchal society. Mm-hmm. So, And I would maybe argue that those um, cultures are probably more in tune with nature. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I feel like that, pro- that maybe makes sense. I'm not talking, I don't have a lot of knowledge, so I don't want to say too much and put my fucking foot in my mouth, but. this. <laughs> <laughs> But just based on, you know, my own research and actually the couple of anthropology classes that I took in college, you know, that is true because there is a connection between women and the feminine and nature. Um, Yeah. You know, I like the moon. Yeah, exactly. The moon, um, the moon and fertility, you know, Mother Earth, all of that. It's it's super interesting. And, yeah, you're right. Those societies tend to be more in tune with nature and haven't lost that deep connection with like the cycle of the seasons and, um, and and things like that. So more interesting things to ponder about our Western society. (laughs) Sorry. While we were still on the topic of Inti and wildness, we have this wolf that's part of the experiment wolf number 10. Mm. And this wolf is kind of the most daring wolf you know when they open the pins in the beginning this wolf just kind of bolts out into the forest and isn't seen again very um you know goes out on its own it does end up coming back and helping its family in the end which like you know inti does the same thing but i just saw this really strong connection between wolf number 10 and inti because they're very much independent kind of reckless people would maybe call them dangerous Mm. or you know, 
yeah. or think that they're the most dangerous. And I think Inti feels a connection to this wolf from the beginning. And so I kind of saw wolf number 10 as Inti in this mm-hmm. A bit or a big symbol for NT. And wolf number 10 is actually the wolf that ends up killing some livestock. Yeah. And the the kind of agreement that they make in the beginning is if a wolf ends up going after livestock, then they are going to need to go out and terminate that wolf mm. because they do need to protect these people's way of life. Yeah. So in the beginning, NT is very against the idea. She doesn't want to go out and you know, obviously she doesn't want to kill any of these wolves. She loves these wolves. But in the end, she kind of realizes like this is what she needs to do. And so she goes out into the wild to look for wolf number 10 to kill the wolf herself. And this is near the end of the book. And I think this is just when Inti really has to face her inner demons of distrust and wanting to be alone and wanting to isolate herself from other people. Because she sees all of these things as a way to protect herself. But really, when you isolate yourself from others, you know, you end up doing yourself a huge disservice because we're not meant to live alone. We see this with her dad. Her dad isolates himself for years and years. And in the end, he kind of goes crazy Mm -hmm. and he goes out into the woods to die. Yeah. So he was so big on, you know, being self-sufficient and isolated, but in the end, that's it, he kind of took it to too much of an extreme. Yeah. So when Inti goes out and kills this wolf, like I feel like it's literally right after this happened, she kind of comes to this realization where she needs to be more willing to speak to others and see others' perspectives because this whole time she's having this really big rift between her and the townspeople. She's not really willing to listen to them. And not everything that the townspeople do is good because they do some really fucked up shit in this book. But underneath, like they kind of have a good point. Like this is farming is our way of life and we need to live too. After she kills this wolf, she kind of realizes like she needs to work with these people to make this whole experiment work. Yeah. They kind of need to meet in the middle. Yeah. And I think that realization is also spurred on by the fact um, that we haven't even mentioned yet. So Inti is pregnant. Um, with mm-hmm. Duncan's baby, and by this point, Duncan's baby, <laughs> the baby. <laughs> At this point, when she goes to kill the wolf, like she is pregnant, like she, yeah, and she's out on horseback in the middle of nowhere in the wild to kill this wolf. And then what ends up happening? Yeah, and Taylor, you made a good point. This this couldn't have happened any other way. Is mm-hmm. and he ends up giving birth out there in the wild all alone, no one there but her horse yeah. to, to, you know, be there with her. And that whole section, just reading it, I was just like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody did so <laughs> Like, but you know, for millennia or I don't, thousands upon thousands. A long time. A long, yeah. a long, <laughs> long, time. long time. You know, that's how women gave birth like we didn't have hospitals until very recently in the human timeline you know and so it's it's kind of fitting that inti brings her daughter because i'm pretty sure it's a girl um her daughter into this world just in the wild and it's up to inti to protect her and make sure that she survives which thankfully both inti and the baby survive which is 
fantastic. Yeah, it was just a super intense scene. It was super intense. I thought it was really interesting. There's several situations in this book where they, like these characters kind of reject what humans do. Let me explain. So when her dad gets really old and they start talking about putting him in an old folks home, which is what you do when you get old and you can't take care of yourself. You have to go live somewhere for someone else to take care of you. Mm -hmm. And he rejects that. And he goes out into the woods to die by himself, like an animal would do Mm -hmm. with Inti instead of having her baby in the hospital, like a, you know, like us humans, as civil humans would do. <laughs> she and not like she does this purposefully, yeah. but I feel like maybe she kind of does. Yeah. She goes out and she has her baby in the woods. So we have these two instances where you know they could do the more civilized thing, but they do what kind of nature mm-hmm. nature kind of takes over. Yeah, no, that's a great point. So like she gives birth towards you know the very end of the book, um, but we haven't even touched upon really yet the the whole murder. <laughs> aspect of it all um because we mentioned at the beginning so Stuart is the one who was found by inti and the townsfolk think that it was a wolf who did it Mm -hmm. but you know as we find out at the end it was actually aggie who kills him because she senses that he is a threat he is a threatening man and he he showed you know his his teeth to Mm -hmm. and aggie was like oh no and so she kills him. She is I? I didn't think it was Aggie. I thought I honestly thought it was Duncan. I thought it was Duncan. Yeah, just based on his history, and he. It's revealed that he had a previous affair with Lainey, Stewart's wife, and so maybe mm-hmm. he killed Stewart to protect her. Yeah, the Charlotte McConaughey kind of gives you a few possibilities, um, all mm-hmm. of which seem feasible. But yeah, in the end, it's revealed that it's Aggie because Aggie actually also attacks Duncan and almost kills him. And she kills his dog. And she kills his dog. I know, that was so sad. I'm not a fan of that part. But so Aggie feels, again, threatened by Duncan. So she kind of attacks him in the same way. And this is actually what prompts Inti to go out to the forest to kill wolf number 10. Because at this point, Inti thinks that maybe it is the wolf who's attacking people. But yeah, but it does come out. It is revealed that it was Aggie. And we kind of see Aggie, this kind of proves that Aggie's human condition and this emotional scarring from this trauma that she's had has kind of caused her to, I don't want to say she goes crazy because I don't think that's accurate, but she's not making rational decisions. You can't go off no. and kill a bunch of people because they you find them threatening to you. That's a difference between us and the animal kingdom. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I was going to say, but you understand why she does it. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think it's interesting. We kind of had different reactions to the fact that Duncan stays with Inti and Aggie. Like, they, they live together. Because I was like, oh, me personally, like, I would feel... Yeah, because everyone finds out that Aggie did it. Duncan knows that Aggie attacked him. Yes. And what I'm saying is I thought it was yeah. really weird that he stayed knowing that like living in the same house <laughs> with the, the person who killed his dog and almost killed him. I was like, I don't know if I'd be that cool with it, but then you, you thought that, Oh no, it, you know, it makes sense. Not that they were like BFFs after, like I think it says in the book, you know, Duncan was still a little wary, but he, ex- he accepted the situation because Inti and Aggie are a package deal. Yeah. And, but he also says in the end, he's like, Oh, like, 
she needs to go to a psychiatric ward because she is a danger to other people. And that is yeah. a valid point. She is a danger to others at this point. But and I thought I thought that maybe Duncan would be able to kind of understand where Aggie was coming from because Duncan himself True. has killed someone. He killed his father because he attacked his mother. So I think he gets the primal emotion that Aggie had when she was attacking these men. So I think that's why he's a little more understanding. I think maybe if Aggie didn't end up doing what she does in the end, eventually it might have been a bigger problem. <laughs> like if she had stuck around. But the ending, you know, Aggie goes off into the wild to die, basically. I think that's how I took it. Do you think, what did you think she was going out to complete suicide? Is that how you took the ending? It is. And not because she's weak or anything like that. I just think that she, you know, NT now has Duncan and their child. And so in my mind, she's like, okay, well, I can now leave and be on my own. You know, maybe at that point she's like, you know, I, I, I did what I needed to do. I served my purpose. I no longer feel the need to continue on. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to go. But, but again, like you said, we don't know for sure if that happened. I think Charlotte McConaughey kind of leaves it up for interpretation and so that's kind of our interpretation is that she she does do what her father did and i thought it was again like i had said earlier where you kind of get these rejections of the human way to deal with something like her dad in the old folks home and inti in the hospital when she's giving birth the next step for aggie would have been to go to a psychiatric hospital and get serious help and again mm -hmm. i think she's kind of rejecting that idea that's not how she wants to live her life and so I think she kind of just goes back into the wild where she feels the most at peace. And like you said, she kind of feels like she's done what she needs to do. And she's accepted that part of her life. Yeah. And I was really surprised by the ending. I did not see that coming. <laughs> but I guess, again, I don't, I didn't, I guess now I don't see it going really any other way. Because I don't think in the long term, Inti and Aggie and Duncan could have lived happily ever after. Like that just seems no. unrealistic. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But it was still, you know, even though it was unexpected and kind of sad, it was, it's, like you said, the, the only way it could have ended. And it's kind of beautiful in its own way. Mm -hmm. You know, she got to choose kind of her fate. Same with her, same with Inti's dad. He kind of got to choose how he was going to end his life. He didn't want the end of his life to be in an old folks home. And about 20 years of being confused. And I can understand that. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's a pretty accurate, accurate analysis. So obviously like Inti, Aggie and, and Duncan and to an extent Stuart are the, the main characters, but there's also some good minor characters too, like some of the, some of Inti's team, you get to know a little bit about them, mm -hmm. kind of how they feel about the project versus Inti's perspective of the project. And then also some of the townsfolk. Um, like Red. Yeah, Red. <laughs> red, good old Red. Man, um, but with a heart of gold. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, there's just some really good secondary characters, which I think is fantastic to have in a book like this. It just kind of grounds it a little bit more and rounds it out nicely. Yeah. So I guess overall, I, like I said, I, I enjoyed this book. Like I couldn't, I only stopped reading it because I had to go to bed and I just, I absolutely loved it. So I would definitely give this, I think I'm gonna give this four and a half martini glasses. Ooh, I know. still not a five. So I've actually been thinking about what you said about how you've never read a five martini glass book. Mm -hmm. 
I'm really confused on how you can have not. What are you basing this off of? If you've never read a five martini book, I don't know. I think I'm gonna end up like eating crow on that statement because I'm sure. Like I already started reading one of our books for a future episode. It's uh, it's Pride and Prejudice, like one of my favorite books ever, and I think that. That might be a, a mm-hmm. martini glass one. Uh, spoiler. Um, so, yeah, I might end up eating my own words at that statement from the first episode. So, Well, I really, really hope that you do. I will. <laughs> and I'm, I'm definitely giving this book a five martini glass rating. I love this book. This is actually the first book I've ever reread that isn't Harry Potter. Can you believe that? Oh my god! I've never reread a book. You're not a repeater, whether it's books, I'm not. Or like movies or TV nope. shows or anything. You don't repeat, nope. unless it's The Office. <laughs> oh, god. I've seen that a million times, but that's it. But yeah, usually with movies too, I watch them once, maybe twice. The only movie I've seen way a lot is White Christmas because it's a tradition in our family that we watch it every Christmas. Yeah, but other than that. I'm usually just a one and done type of gal. <laughs> this is high praise. But yeah, I mean, I'll probably read this book again in the future. Yeah. I just think it's great. And I think the connection to nature is amazing. Like I like I had said with Charlotte McConaughey, if I had I had wondered if maybe she had some personal experience with trauma. I feel like she also personally loves nature and is yeah. interested in nature because she has another book called migrations that also has a nature aspect to it. And I'm going to fucking read that book because I am hooked (laughs) on Charlotte McConaughey. I think the way he writes is beautiful. Mm. I love her characters. I love the themes. I love the nature. I just love everything about it. I mean, this was my favorite book that I read last year because I first read this book in 2021 and it was my favorite book. that. Yeah. You actually recommended it to me um, because I read this. Before, before we started this podcast. So I read it about a month ago and I, I totally agree with everything you said. I can't wait to, to read her other book and I can't wait to read what she releases in the future for sure. Um, oh yeah. I'm super excited for that. And then speaking of reading, we're just going to briefly talk about some current or maybe recommended reads based on, on this book. And I actually do have a, a recommended read for fans of this. It's called um, the word for woman is Wilderness by Abby Andrews. I read this a few years back and I've recommended it to so many people. Um, It has kind of similar themes of a woman seeking solitude in nature. Um, So the main character in this book is British and she journeys over to Alaska to spend some time alone in a cabin in Denali National Park. And it's written like in diary entries, in transcripts of um, videos, because she's recording this whole thing. And it's just, it's so, so good. You know, it's about nature and femininity and all those great topics. And I just, I loved it so much. Um, so I, I definitely recommend that for, for fans of this book. And even if you haven't read this book, just, yeah, just read that one, read that one anyway. It's amazing. Oh, that sounds really good. And then I'm, I'm currently reading uh, something on the complete other end of the spectrum. I love a cozy mystery and especially mystery has to do with bookshops and like witches and magic. So I am reading crime and poetry, which is the first in a series called the magical bookshop mysteries by Amanda flower. And it's just, 
it's so quaint, <laughs> you know, small town in upstate New York and works in a bookshop and finds out she has like magical powers. And of course there's a murder and it's just, I love it so much. So that's what I'm reading. What about you, Taylor? Oh, that sounds fun. Yeah. I am still reading my vegetable book. (laughs) (laughs) And that's all. (laughs) Vegetable book and podcast book. That's all I really have time for. (laughs) I I read an inordinate amount of things. So, (laughs) yeah. So that is it for us for Once There Were Wolves. Um. Taylor, you want to tell us what we're reading next? Yeah. So next week we are going to be talking about Olga Dies Dreaming by Zochito Gonzalez. Yes. This is also another reread for me. I'm very excited to talk about this book. Yeah, me too. I really, really enjoyed it. So yeah, uh, thank you all for listening and we will see you next week. Yeah, we'll see you next week. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. And if you feel so inclined, leave us a rating and review. It helps fellow readers find our podcast. Happy reading and drinking.